Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 240 Innovating New Forms of Buddhist Tantra. We're joined again by computer scientist and author David Chapman to hear about some alternatives to what he calls consensus Buddhism. This is part two of a two part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. As you know, you know, it's difficult to imagine a a different history, even when it's a recent history, but let's look at some of these alternatives. What are these alternatives? Yeah, we, well, we can't really know everything that might have happened if things had been differently. Hmm. But the example that, that I care most about because I practice in a Vajrayana lineage is the uh, rejection of Buddhist Tantra or Vajrayana by hmm. the consensus. Tantra has been marginalized and I think actually actively suppressed on the grounds that it is aggressive, too traditional, it's excessively intellectual and incompatible with Western values. I don't think any of those characterizations is true. Part of the problem is a historical accident, which is that the consensus is rooted primarily in the modernized Theravada that developed in Thailand and Burma in the early 20th century. Theravada is the Buddhism that is most different from Vajrayana. The consensus also draws on modernized Zen and on Tibetan Mahayana, and because it does incorporate Tibetan Buddhism, the Mahayana part of it, it can kind of call itself inclusive because, yes, we do have Tibetan teachers, yet it does exclude, mainly exclude Vajrayana. Where I talk about differences, the essential principle or the the engine in the vehicle Mm. of Theravada and mostly of Mahayana is renunciation. You know, the path is to cut emotional ties to the world. Right, right. And there's not a lot of Westerners who really want to do that. It's unattractive because you have to give up a lot of stuff that we like. But actually, it's not just that. It's that it really seems seems wrong. And in fact, for various reasons, but the consensus, I think, basically dropped out renunciation because it was incompatible with the psychotherapeutic idea that you need to go with your feelings. But the consensus form of Western Buddhism has retained a lot of the renunciate framework that it got from Asia. It's like, you know, if you have a car, the the car is, is really built around the engine. You drop the engine out and the car doesn't work anymore. The the key piece is missing there. I think, by and large, what 
Westerners want from Buddhism is something different. What we want is personal transformation. So in order to meet that need, the consensus Buddhism has taken Western methods of transformation from psychotherapy and from the New Age and substituted those in as the new engine in their vehicle. But the problem is that you know, it's a very differently shaped engine and it, I don't think it really fits very well into the framework that was left. All of the Western transformational methods are actually based on an idea of true self. And typically the method involves messing about with your personal mental contents. Mm -hmm. And Buddhism has generally considered that to be a dead end. That's stuff you want to leave behind. So Tantra offers actually Buddhist methods for accomplishing transformation. The problem we have is that because Vajrayana has been pushed out of the modern mainstream of Western Buddhism. It's been really forced to be traditional, and there's some other historical reasons why that has happened. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people would say, well, it's very important to do Vajrayana in a very traditional way. That's not what I would advocate, uh, not mm -hmm. at all. I, I'm planning to be writing a series on my blog about reinventing Buddhist Tantra, uh, it seems to me that this may be a good time to start to work through the aspects of Vajrayana that seem to be in conflict with Western culture mm -hmm. and to see, just as this was done with Theravada and Zen, see what we uh, want to keep and what needs to change. If that could be done successfully, uh, we can innovate new forms and then we can actually use Buddhist methods as Buddhists to accomplish transformation instead of trying to apply Western methods. Mm. You might say, well, you know, we've got no reason to believe that this would be possible. Tantra is very conservative. Now, I won't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Some people would say that. Well, many would, yeah. But actually, you know, back in the 1980s, there were a number of pioneers who, who were doing this and making a lot of progress. I would mention Chögyam Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, particularly his Shambhala training system, which was the way I got into Buddhism. Tartang Tolku, Chögyal Namkai Norbu, and my own teacher, Nakchang Rinpoche. They all were inventing new tantric forms for the West in the 1980s. And that innovative flowering was deliberately suppressed in the early 1990s through the 1990s until recently um, by a coalition of both Westerners and Tibetans. Okay, okay. Now, now, do we have any evidence for that? Yeah. Um, well, each of those innovators came under a lot of political pressure from all sides. And, you know, if you want to read up on that, that's in the public record. I think a key event, which I'd like to mention, is 
1993, there was a conference of Western Buddhist teachers at Dharamsala in the Indian Himalayas that was uh, sponsored by the Dalai Lama. This was the moment at which the consensus as a political organization was explicitly founded. This was in the wake of the rather catastrophic events surrounding dubious behavior by Trungpa Rinpoche, especially by his uh, Western successor and some other Western teachers, Richard Baker perhaps. The question that was addressed at the conference is what should be the role of white folks as Buddhist teachers And you don't need to read between the lines very much in the statement that the conference released to see that part of the agenda was to say Tantra is actually too dangerous for Westerners. Mm -hmm. Um, We definitely don't want Westerners teaching that and probably really we don't want them learning it either. So that's where the thing started, with that as uh, its more or less explicit goal. But I think this consensus is breaking up, and so I think there's an opportunity to try again. What makes you think there's there's an opening, an opportunity? What makes you think things are changing? Well, there have always been different voices, right? But uh, you seem to be implying a, a turn of tide somehow. Uh, Yeah, I think there is. There's two things happening. One is that the leaders of the consensus themselves are expressing a certain level of doubt about the approach that they've taken and um, some signs of openness to alternatives. I started writing my blog series about this um, when I heard about something that I think is historically quite significant. From that 1993 conference that I mentioned, there was a series of meetings of these modern Western Buddhist teachers. It was organized by the same group of leaders Mm -hmm. that met yearly up until about 10 years ago, and then they stopped. And Mm. my interpretation of that was that they had kind of accomplished what they had set out to do, which was to establish the right way of doing Western Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Um, But the same group organized this last summer at the Garrison Institute what they called the Maha Buddhist Teachers Conference. Mm -hmm. And it seems that it was, in part at least, an attempt to start a discussion about the issues that I've just been talking about. Mm. You know, they recognize that over the next decade, they're going to have to pass the torch to teachers in a younger generation. And I think there's a certain reluctant recognition that the younger generations need something different from Buddhism and that a younger generation of teachers are going to be teaching differently and perhaps actually teaching a a new form of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. So that's one sign of opening. The other sign is, well, we actually see these new things arising. The Punk Dharma movement has been a big inspiration to me, although uh, actually, as it happens, punk hasn't been a very important thing in my life. But Brad Warner, in particular, is 
teaching straight up Zen, but he's not at all politically correct. He's not at all in the the consensus mode. And he's, you know, I think slightly to his own surprise, getting away with saying things that I think maybe uh, five years earlier, it would have been impossible to get heard. There's the pragmatic Dharma movement, which I don't quite have my head around yet, but it seems very promising. Uh, a lot of new views there, and uh, some of the leaders of that are from Generation X, maybe Generation Y. Then, you know, the thing I, I, I happen to care most about is the possibility of innovation in Vajrayana, and that actually seems to be happening, which there wasn't any for a good 15 years there. Uh, I would mention Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche is developing something called the Three Doors Program, which is a secular version of Vajrayana. I don't quite know what that means, but it seems promising. Reggie Ray split with the Shambhala organization when it seemed to turn away from the innovations that Trungpa Rinpoche had introduced. And he set himself up as an independent lama with no particular authorization. He's developing new teaching approach based on body awareness, and that seems to be going well. Within Shingon, which is Japanese Vajrayana, I don't know very much at all about it, but Shinzen Young, I've listened to a number of podcasts and saw him speak at the Buddhist Geeks Conference last summer. I found him inspiring, and he seems to have quite a big following, and he's doing things in a, a different way. And you know, then finally, I'd mention your own work in developing a, a new approach to Vajrayana appropriate for contemporary times. Okay, now, David, as, as this uh, cultural phenomenon that we commonly refer to as Western Buddhism continues to evolve. I'm sure you'll keep writing. The series on uh, consensus Buddhism is far from over, and you have some other plans as well concerning both Tantra and you have uh, other work that is uh, more fictional in nature. Can you say a little bit about that? Yes, um, I'm writing way too many things at once. In the consensus series, I'm taking a historical approach, I'm working forward in time from the late 1800s, which is when Buddhism started to be modernized. I'm up to the 1950s, and uh, soon I will be uh, looking at the more recent history as Buddhism moved into the West. I um, will be talking uh, at some length about ideas about innovations in Tantra, how that can perhaps develop. Those are quite tentative ideas because I have no particular spiritual accomplishment. I'm not a teacher by any means. So I'm basically going to be cheerleading, but I have a variety of thoughts about where this can go. Then um, my whole series has been very much influenced by a book by David McMahon called The Making of Buddhist Modernism, which really changed the way I've, I've thought about Buddhism dramatically. It makes an awful lot of sense of an awful lot of things. Mm -hmm. It leaves off at a certain point, which is that 
modernism as a, a broad cultural phenomenon is thought by many people to have ended sometime in maybe the 80s or 90s, and we're in an era after modernism in which, in some way, culture, society, and the self work quite differently. And so one of the things I'm most interested in doing is understanding what that implies for Buddhism. A characteristic of this period is the extreme fragmentation or atomization of culture, society, and as a result of that, the self. So the question is, how can Buddhism be useful to us in that world? I'm also uh, writing a site called Buddhism for Vampires, which mm. is um, has a novel, which is a tantric Buddhist historical romance novel with vampires in it. Mm. Uh, this is... Um, mainly humorous, but it's got woven into it a lot of ideas about what I think Tantra could be for us now, even though it is set in India 1,300 years ago. And finally, I have a site called meaningness.com, which is taking some ideas out of Buddhist philosophy and trying to make them directly relevant to modern, or maybe it's now after modern, concerns in a way that's rather different than what I've seen elsewhere. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th, in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, Abbot of the Village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and Pragmatic Dharma Provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.